I'm Jack Zenlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series supported by Environmental Tillage Systems. In today's program, we get some perspective on the synchronized conservation-driven goals and outcomes of a developing strip-till system to enhance productivity. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get alerts when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Environmental Tillage Systems for their support of this podcast series. At Environmental Tillage Systems, our mission is to provide progressive farmers with an innovative production system that profitably rebuilds the land. Contact ETS to discuss how the Soil Warrior can improve ROI on your farm at www.soilwarrior.com. Well, when it comes to strip-till, a driving motivation for making the transition in 2014 for Mike Pribble was to balance effectiveness with efficiency. The Green Bay, Wisconsin farmer had long followed the seasonal patterns of conventional tillage practices. But a series of conversations with Brent Peterson, agronomist with Brown County Land and Water Conservation, led to a conversion, first to no-till and then to strip-till. The awakening, as Mike puts it, was a springboard to educating area farmers on the value of conservation tillage practices and an opportunity to launch a growing custom strip-till business. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, part one of two, supported by Environmental Tillage Systems, we share excerpts from our recent visit with Mike and Brent to discuss some of the initial objectives they pursued and achieved with a transition to Strip-Till. So Brent uh, Peterson, he's from Brown County. Um, you're the Fox Demo Farms coordinator. Is that Correct. what your, your title would be? Project manager. Project yep. manager. And um, so basically go back probably, I mean, you can probably tell the story better than I can, but we go back a couple of years and this was a big push to kind of start doing these conservation practices in this area. Yeah. So we work in combination with the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Um, that's actually where, where most of my funding comes from for my position. So ultimately... Uh, you know, we, we were looking at trying to improve the soil health. We've got, in this neck of the woods here, we've got a lot of a lot of clay soils, significant amounts of runoff here in this area. You know, so we really wanted to try and increase the infiltration and, and we could tell over time here that these soils are getting worse and worse, a lot more crusting and, and that kind of thing. So we approached NRCS and they actually, you know, at the time they had a program set up for demonstration, demonstration farms. So, the Lower Fox River Basin, uh, this is the original um, demo farm uh, location. So now I think there's about five or six of them here now, uh, created here in this northeastern mm-hmm. Wisconsin pocket here right now. So it's it's a growing thing and you know basically we want to demonstrate practices that we don't traditionally try here in this neck of the woods. So as we move forward here with soil health, so a lot of cover crops, a lot of no-till, and then we come to realize that that's not going to fit everybody's everybody's needs. So uh, all of a sudden, the strip till, I, I talked to Dave Sender here at, uh, ETS. from ETS a couple years ago here, actually, over at the but Farm Technology Days. Over there, yep. And I always kind of left them in my back pocket kind of a thing, you know. You know, I think we contacted them. We mm-hmm. got talking to Mike about it here yep. one time when we started talking about strip tillage. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Mike and Doug, they've been doing a lot of planting and a lot of, a lot of stuff with no-till mm-hmm. here already. So 
Uh, this was the next kind of the next step here for some producers that we don't traditionally work with or have the opportunity to work with with just straight no-till. Mm -hmm. And it's been a great fit here so far. So <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we've done a lot of uh, a lot of different conservation. I mean, so the unique geography that Brent kind of started with here in Northeast Wisconsin, I mean, we got we're surrounded by water. We have the Bay of Green Bay, we have the Lake Michigan, we have um, Lake Winnebago to our south, plus we got the Fox River Basin that Brent described. And you know, we really have to look at this and say, how do we um, protect these natural these natural resources and uh, and make improvements? Um, you know, Brent can definitely speak more on the the technicalities and the kind of what we've seen out there as far as the the runoff and the the nutrient loading in the Bay of Green Bay, and um, you know, speak to the the positive impacts we've had to last you know six, seven years and, um, you know, kind of explain where we're going to go with it too. The, the strip till really left its, uh, left its mark because there was some unique challenges out there that producers needed to, needed to address and, you know, really trying to address them in a, the most efficient way possible. So as far as, uh, some of the, the starting points, then you talked about obviously some of the opportunities there mm -hmm. for embracing the practice. Um, and maybe you can kind of just take me back a little bit, uh, you know, kind of the, the farm history here, mm -hmm. you know, what you guys had been, uh, what the, the tillage practices yep. you guys had been engaging in and, you know, what are some of the things that you were seeing as, I guess, indicators or, mm -hmm. or drivers, um, certainly beyond the, the water quality mm -hmm. aspects that you thought, you know, kind of warranted a change or at least yeah. looking at making a change? Yeah, so if we back up, I mean, from, from our farm perspective, um, we farm very little ground ourselves. We do a lot of custom work for hire and we've seen these challenges out there. And we said, you know, Brent came to us, Brent and one of our customers came to us a couple of years ago and said, this is what we're looking at doing. We're looking for a partner to kind of help us out in this. At that time, everything was heavy, heavy conventional tillage. I mean, going in the fall, turn that ground over or you know, chisel plow it and then come in spring and work it a couple more times and work it until it's fit to be planted, right? And by that point, we're really seeing a lot of soil degradation and you know, how do we make those improvements? Um, and this was really kind of a leap of faith from you know, Brent and a couple of our other producers saying, hey, this is what we want to achieve. Nobody else is doing this around here. Would you guys be interested in, in partnering with us on that? Sure, we're always up to a challenge. So um, we started with no-till planting, um, started with no-till into cover crops, and that was kind of our leap of faith. And then we said, um, that wasn't for everybody. Some people needed that, that intermediate step, and that's where the strip till came in. Um, so we went from impacting the entire field with tillage and seeing the, the the erosion and the runoff that was coming from that. I mean, you drive down the road today and you can see it plain as day. We got snow on the ground. You can see brown snow out in the field from all the, the, the wind erosion. Um, come spring when we got the thaws, then we compound that with water erosion and we get these washouts and we get this, this nutrient loading into the ditches. And we didn't want to see that anymore. So we said, you know, how can we make these these impacts? And um, yeah, that's kind of where, we, where we're at today. And, and how, how long ago was that? So we probably started this conservation journey. Us personally, I think we've been doing this for six years now. Yeah, I was. Yeah, and I think we started uh, the. the yeah. On uh, 2014, we really started the demo farm, getting that thing up yep. and rolling. Yep, and then so. so us personally, we've been involved in agriculture in different capacities for quite some time. But on our personal farm, Dig Dug Trees and Farm, um, or DDTF LLC, we've been doing this um, more and more actively for the last six or seven years. Um, and since that time, we've seen the industry around here change significantly. I mean, um, Brent and the, his office, they, they got a couple different aerial images that they work with and to kind of show ground cover and, and conservation practices over time. And um, 
if you go back probably 10 years, there was almost no cover other than your standard winter wheat and alfalfa oh, covers right. over and winter. Alfalfa. And now we have significantly better coverage over in, in the off season, if you will. And then we're, we're using that, that conservation practices of the cover crops and the strip till in combination to really make these, these soil improvements. Um, so some of the baseline stuff that you guys have done on edge of, edge of field monitoring, we've been kind of monitoring that, seeing how these practices are improving these Correct. runoff conditions. Yeah, so we've been, we've been working with uh, USGS here on uh, some monitoring sites in co cooperation with, with NRCS and EPA. Um, so we put up a paired, paired watershed monitoring site and the first, it was within the first uh, two weeks that we put it in, we had a, a four-tenths of an inch rainfall event. And it's, it was a conventionally tilled piece of ground. Well, the water was, and it had been pretty dry there for the past month. So at four-tenths of an inch, we already had runoff on a five-acre chunk. And uh, five acres of watershed on both of those, and the water was running off of both of those at four-tenths of an inch. So... That's basically telling you there's something wrong with our soils. We should be absorbing all of that at that point. So that that was a that was actually really key into getting pushing us forward here with a lot of these covers. As you know, as I've grown up here over the years, you know, I've, I'm a native from the area. I can remember the days when we would go work land and the seagulls would be, you know, just about running you over and crapping on you and mm -hmm. everything else. Um, but you just you just don't see that anymore in this area. So that's telling me we've probably lost. Some of that life here as time has went on here so and we see that we see and then we see those those positive impacts pretty quickly once we start introducing mm -hmm. this more diversity and more um, less tillage practices minimal tillage i mean we go out and i mean it really only takes a couple a, a year or so to see that biology kick in and you know yeah. the i tell we were brent and i had a meeting with a producer last week and we were talking about strip till and you know how can we bet use this to benefit your operation not only from a um, soil health standpoint, but from a financial standpoint. And we had that same conversation about, you know, um, think about years ago, I said to the customer, you had seagulls everywhere. We had a lot of biology in here and now we don't have that. So how can we bring that back? And, you know, the more life we can have out there, the better. Um, Brent, your office, and I think combined with UW-Green Bay, have done some um, counts out there of the, the wildlife or the, the growing species out in the, in the field. And I mean, on some of these conventionally tilled ground, we have three, you know, it's a handful, very right. few species out there. Um, and then we, when we introduce these conservation practices, including the strip till, um, we're really seeing that biology take off. I mean, I don't remember the count numbers as well as you do, but it's really Yeah, it was, you know, we had, we had between six and seven uh, different things out in, in a traditional cornfield. And, uh, you know, in the diversified fields, you know, we're well beyond that 50, 60 range here with a lot of these insects, you know, so that's, that's telling you a lot there, that diversification is so important. You know, yeah. So. yeah, I mean, because we're bringing, not only are we, what, what we've had, the harmful effects of all the tillage that we've had over the years is, we're not only losing the bad bugs that we, nobody wants because they're gonna be harmful to our crops, but we're also losing the beneficial insects and the beneficial bugs and the beneficial, you know, everything. So, you know, how do we bring them back and make this work in a, a harmonious um, systems approach and that's really where that strip till came in. Again, we touched on a little bit, but the um, the financial return, the return on investment on strip till, is going to be significantly greater and faster than a conventional tillage system. I mean, yeah, it takes a little bit of time to turn over that equipment and say, you know, we're going from a chisel plow, field cultivator disc, to a 
single piece of equipment. And yeah, it takes a little bit to, to justify that, but the return on investment, we're really taking what would traditionally be minimum of four passes in Northeast Wisconsin between the chisel plow, a couple passes of the field cultivator, fertilizer broadcast, and we're combining that into one app, one pass throughout the field. So not only are we uh, improving our efficiency, we're improving our ROI by the, the fertilizer, the nutrient placement. Um, we haven't done any experimenting yet with reducing fertilizer rates. However, um, that is kind of planned for the future. We're kind of establishing some baselines right now and seeing, okay, how can we grow more with less or how can we um, you know, just be more efficient with every dollar spent is really what it comes down to. You mentioned uh, you, know, you guys have a, a smaller operation. Mm-hmm. How many guys, or acres are you guys? Yeah, so on our, our, our local operation here, from, from our, we're only running 35 acres ourselves. Everything okay. else is custom. Okay. Um, so on a typical year, we're doing a lot of side dressing. We side dress between six and 7,000 acres of corn every year um, with the um, you know, side dress bars. And then we plant around 2,000 acres of corn and beans a year. And then we, uh, the, the big portion of it that we're really kind of banking on moving forward is the strip till system. Um, we actually are, we're hoping that we can eliminate some passes out there even so. I mean, we're not, we're not into the conventional world right now, conventional tillage world right now. But um, as far as our, our side dress application, if we can really hone this in, maybe we can do some things with the strip till, put down some more stable forms of N, and, um, and maybe even eliminate a portion of our pass. You know, right now we're side dressing really heavy um, once that corn gets to, you know, V4, V6. And um, we're looking at saying, okay, can we reduce that application rate later on and uh, put some of that a little bit more up front with maybe like an ESN product, something that's a little bit more stable and, um, and you know, really return more dollars to that grower um, and, and burn less fuel and do all these things the, the right way. So, so what's a, a typical application that you're making with that side dress? So side dress right now, we're typically applying anywhere from 30 to 40 gallons to the acre of uh, 32% or um, one thing that we, we sh- we've been really adding a lot more sulfur into the mix the last couple of years. Um, we've been doing a little bit more of like a 28005S, um, but it's still keeping those application rates up there. You know, one thing that we did see last year we were able to achieve was by doing um, the strip till and um, incorporating some of that sulfur versus such a heavy nitrogen application, we reduced our application rates a little bit, but we had greater yields. Now, last year was a good growing season that we had up here compared to previous years, but um, we've been able to be more efficient with those dollars that we're spending on that fertility versus now if we can move forward, if we can side dress, you know, maybe 20 gallons to the acre of 32 or 2800 5S and then come back with, uh, and on the front side, put some ESN down, still keep our unit, our target units, we want to kind of keep close to the same. But um, anytime, I believe any time that we're putting down 100 units of nitrogen at one time or more, we're throwing some money out the window. We're not getting as, not capturing as much of that as we, we should be able to. Um, so we're trying to spoon feed that crop and really you know, get the most ROI from the field as we can. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, Environmental Tillage Systems, for making this podcast possible. At Environmental Tillage Systems, our mission is to provide progressive farmers with an innovative production system that profitably rebuilds the land. Contact DTS to discuss how the Soil Warrior can improve ROI on your farm at www.soilwarrior.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Mike Pribble and Brent Peterson on some of their early lessons learned with strip-till experimentation. 
So you mentioned the uh, situation where um, we're able to kind of reduce uh, some of those rates in certain mm-hmm. instances and see some yield increases. Mm-hmm. Any example or situation that comes to mind last year that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had, uh, so one of our growers that we work with, a couple of them, but one of them in particular, they harvest everything with, everything around here is corn silage for the most part. We do have some grain, some grain ground, but we're, we're heavy, heavy dairy around here. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of our growers have been more, more and more adapting the harvest lab technology from John Deere or, you know, the other ones from the other companies. And we, uh, one field in, in particular, we, uh, we strip till it in the spring. Uh, I don't remember the total mix, but it was, it was more heavy on the potash versus a nitrogen mix. And we came back and we planted it with a, uh, a dry fertilizer starter mix and a little bit of infurrow application. Um, and that field, we never got around to side dressing. When we look up and we pulled up and we kind of, we had that baseline then, okay, what's this look like? When we pull up on the harvest lab data, yield data was very good as far as overall tonnage per acre. Um, quality for starch, you'd think you'd be lacking because you didn't get that nitrogen application. Maybe you didn't have as much grain fill. Starch was very consistent with everything that got side dressed. So the question we have is, where was that bottleneck? Apparently on that field, the bottleneck previously was on the uh, P and K more so than it was on the nitrogen. We had, apparently we have good soil organic matter that's gonna be releasing some of that nitrogen. And yeah, we definitely left yield on the table because we did have some tip back on those fields, but it wasn't as drastic as what we've seen on some of these other fields where we did do a high application of nitrogen but we had another, another bottleneck someplace else. So it's really about how do we balance this and say, um, eliminate that, that yield limiting factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really what we're trying to do on this. Plus again, holding that soil in place and, and doing, the, doing things uh, as much as we can the, the right way. So do you recall roughly where, where the yields ended up? Yeah, so I mean, if we look at that field compared to a different one, I mean, we're probably within, um, again, when we're talking tons per acre, we're only going, you know, maximum ton per acre that we're getting around here is 25 ton to the acre. On the low side, we're around, you know, 16, 17. Um, this one was within, I'd say we're within 10%, you know, 10, 20%. I don't remember the exact numbers, but um, it was to the point where we really got to start examining. Again, we're spending money on nitrogen. Maybe we need to be spending money on something else to get more ROI out of it. So 10% of the yeah. top or the... So we were within, we were within 10% of the top, okay. I would say. Okay. You know, so if we're, if we're at um, a field right next door, again, different fertility, different CEC, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, similar field compared to similar field, um, I would say that we were within, I'd say maybe not 10%, but probably within 15% of okay. that yield. So again, we're, we know we, we were less, but we said, you know, we have to make um, some some positive impacts here by doing things a little bit differently. Right, and without having to make that side risk. Yeah, pass. I mean, so that, and so we're really, we're not looking to totally eliminate the side risk pass, but we're really looking to um, spread out those units um, better. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we have these big rain events after planting time, and if we don't have a stable form of nitrogen out there, mm-hmm. we're gonna be losing a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what we're looking at. Okay, if we're typically applying, you know, um, 200 units of N, how do we get the most out of that 200 units of N? Mm-hmm. You know, do we split it up between a, um, a pre-plant with the strip-till application and then a planter pass and then a side dress and maybe even a, a, a second side dress later on with a Y-drop system? It's really about you know, spreading that out. We don't want to spend, we're looking at how do we not spend any more money on product, but we get more return on that. Mm-hmm. And you said you, with the, the strip-till pass in that particular field, you said you were a little heavier on the potash, Definitely. a little lighter. Do you, 
know roughly at all kind of what you'd apply? Yeah, so typically it would be a one-third, two-third mix. Let's say um, you know, some things that we've done this past year, we went to a one-third pot, or uh, excuse me, two-thirds potash mm -hmm. and then a one-third DAP or MEZ. Okay. Um, so we're getting, you know, again, minimal units of nitrogen on that front side with that mix. Mm -hmm. uh, moving forward here, we're going to play a lot play around a lot more with mixing in some ESN, maybe do a heavy uh, potash and ESN mix. Um, really, when we look at the fertility of our fields around here, <clears throat> we have a lot of variability. I mean, there's, don't get me wrong, there's other places that got, other places in the country that got a lot of variability too, but um, some of our customers that we work with, we got anywhere from, you know, three, 400 parts per million on the K levels, as low as less than 50. So we have to really be looking at how do we, we're not gonna build that soil up on those 50s anytime soon. Mm -hmm. We gotta maximize our ROI. We gotta use that zone um, to grow that crop. A lot of the other thing here too is, you know, we, uh, you know, we, when we get these focused dairies here, we get these large dairies here, mm -hmm. it's a huge cost to, to spread that manure out. And the further to get away from the farm, the more expensive things get. So I think one of the advantages mm -hmm. we've, we've seen here is when we move away from the farm with that unit and mm -hmm. the fertility is a lot lower, that's where that thing really shines. Yeah. And plus it's, it's not only that, it's the carrying capacity. We've had, we had mm -hmm. two previously wet falls. This past yeah. fall wasn't that bad, but the carrying capacity is so much better yeah. with a unit like that because we leave all of that structure intact, mm -hmm. you know, or but, at least most, at least yeah. two thirds of it anyway, right? You know, the, so. I think uh, Soil Warrior and ETS, they got a very good, uh, very cool t-shirt that I like a lot. It says uh, one third, only one third disturbed, right? So. Yeah. Um, you know, so now we're, we're the, to Brent's point, we're really focusing on leaving two thirds of that structure in place and we're really only affecting one third of the structure and really only there, we're not affecting, uh, I would argue that we're not affecting one third because we're only going down, you know, six to eight inches of depth at the most. Um, so we're still, we got that structure on top. We're giving ourselves a really good zone to plant into. Emergence has been fantastic on these, uh, these strip-tilled fields, I mean, that, that, that soil warrior does a fantastic job of mm -hmm. leaving a zone after just one pass that I mean, plants very, very nice. Um, so one thing that we did run into when we're doing more and more of the no-till on some of these fields, we ran into sidewall compaction. And we ran into, you know, the root zone not being, the roots not being able to expand into that zone. Brent and I took a bunch of um, some, some pressure tests out in the field and I mean, we were seeing plus, you know, well over 300 in yeah, some cases. Yeah, well beyond the 300 PSI. And, um, you know, Brent, Brent did a really excellent job explaining to these growers that your, your roots are only going to exert up the, at the maximum 300 PSI to push through. And so we said, how do we alleviate that? And that's where the strip tiller really came in too. Um, Brent and I dug a lot of roots those first couple of years on some of these guys that were um, a little bit more green, a little bit wet behind the ears on the no-till. And we saw a lot of hatcheted roots. The roots were not leaving that, that furrow, that, that, um, the true V that the deer planters and these planters leave. So we said, how do we make it so these roots can expand past that compaction zone and get into that, uh, that area that's not disturbed? And that's where this was a fantastic tool for that. I think what really set us up is we had, we had a producer that decided to no-till a bunch of corn ground, mm -hmm. or a bunch of corn into alfalfa ground where they took that one cutting off, that first cutting, and then that all got harvested wet. Mm -hmm. So when they planted that corn in there, you know, when you walk through there, the corn's only four or five feet tall, mm -hmm. six feet tall. Yep. And uh, that's what really probably triggered that idea right there, I would argue. And on some of these fields that were in that case, so what ended up happening was, if you look at the process in spring, we had some alfalfa crops that were, were less than ideal. So 
in order to spread out that workload, we focus on planting our main crop of corn and then we harvest some alfalfa. We no-till or put in corn after that alfalfa comes off. And then we go through and we you know, go through the normal process on growing corn on that ground. Well, those fields, those were the ones that we had the challenges with, with you know, sidewalk compaction. And um, what we ended up doing, those fields were harvested in fall. They carried beautifully because they were no-tilled. However, and that was one of our wet falls the last couple of years. The following year, we didn't do any fall tillage on those fields um, that, that fall. We strip-tilled them in spring. We you know, planted them normal into the strips and everything. And it was night and day difference between, I mean, granted, we had a couple different things that happened, but we also have to remember, we removed a lot of fertility from those fields over that period of time. And we replaced some of it with the strip till, but not all of it, obviously, because we removed all this alfalfa, we removed all the corn silage, we replaced as much as we can on, with the strip till unit. Um, but it was night and day. You know, I rode with the custom operator in one of the fields in particular, um, and I rode with him the previous year where the crop was poor. And he said to me, you know, Mike, this is night and day difference between what we had last year and this year. Um, one of them was an 80 acre field and we were yielding, I wanna say he said before, it was, it was a down and back and down and back to get a full load. And that's, that's very poor yield. Um, the second, the, pre, this, the following year, we were uh, down and back, not even down and back, down and portional. So we were getting the same yield off of a quarter of the work, and that's what we really want to see. You know, so again, we had very poor the year before, but it was night and day difference um, from one year to the next. And the biggest change we made in there was going to a strip till system, um, incorporating that, that fertility in that zone. Well, thank you, Mike and Brent, for sharing some of your initial experience and benefits transitioning into strip till. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Environmental Tillage Systems, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest Strip-Till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Mike Pribble, Brent Peterson, Environmental Tillage Systems, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Samlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>